everyone welcome back to cheese and crackers i'm bria and i'm krista and this week we're going to start just by revisiting last week's episode briefly and one of the things that we talked about at the end was how the podcast got the name and i guess the saying your cheese lighting off your cracker is in reference to a movie and i did not know that we just thought it was something that he had heard or made up or whatnot but obviously you can tell I never watched the movie. After that we want to go back and talk a little bit about the day that the protective orders were served. It was Monday we talked about how the girls went out of town and I had parent-teacher conferences at school and part of the problem with that was we had no idea when it was going to happen. We knew he was in he went to the family business we didn't know when he was coming back he called the school and left messages. He texted us. It was a whole different kind of anxiety and fear than I think what we'd felt before. And that's that's the part that we want to pause for a minute and talk about because it's easy to talk about what happened in a nonchalant way, but it's harder to talk about the messy emotional part of things. For myself, and I can pretty much say for my sister as well, and even my grandma who was with us that day, we were all kind of on edge. We didn't know when it was going to happen. We had no indication of how we would know when he was served because we weren't really in contact with the sheriff's department, my sister or I. And so we were out and about doing our own thing and just wondering when we would be able to return to home with him not being there. I was at parent-teacher conferences. We had the school on lockdown and it was really hard to focus and and worry in the back of my mind what was going to happen. I felt guilty because my principal had went around to tell all the teachers, you know, to be on the lookout and just here's a heads up. I don't know. I just I had a lot of guilt that day and I think part of it was just the guilt of having taken so long to go through everything, the guilt of now all of this was going on. It wasn't supposed to happen on that Monday. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. I, I had some moments that I could have easily had a panic attack. But I will say that that night came and went for parent-teacher conferences. And when I walked out, I had several staff members and friends walk out with me because they didn't want me to walk out to my car alone. And I really didn't want anybody to walk out with me because I didn't want to put them in any kind of a position because at that point we really didn't know how he'd react or what he'd do Mm -hmm. you know it was scary and and I'll never forget that night and for the support that those friends and colleagues showed me because they really cared and and were there to support me we were all supposed to meet up at the place that we were hiding out at after my mom got off work and we did do that and then like I said we didn't really know when he was going to get served so we called the neighbors and said hey can you call us when the sheriff show up in the driveway so we at least kind of have like a good idea of what's going on and what's happening and then we also have a ring camera we could pull up the footage from that and actually watch and see when the sheriffs arrived. We were outside of town at at a friend's house and we watched just a brief little bit because you know there wasn't much to watch and then the sheriff's department was supposed to notify me after he left the house and it was safe to come home but I will say that we had multiple people once they found out what was going on offer us offer to take us in that night Mm -hmm. and 
several people didn't want us to come back home. But I think I think all three of us girls wanted to come home after yeah, it was a long all day. The, yeah, and after all of the it, it's hard to explain, but after all of the drama and the crazy and stuff like that, home's kind of like your safe place and your secure place and you just wanted to be around each other in your own house with your pets and your things and have some kind of normalcy in a situation that didn't feel normal at all. So we came home that night and the first thing we did was we took all of the batteries out of all of our doors because they have codes on them and so that way the only way they could work was with a key. And then when we arrived home we also did the same thing for our garage door. We reprogrammed it and made it where it wasn't accessible if you had a garage door opener. Now, the things that people need to know if you're, and we'll cover all this in one, but here's another thing that if you're thinking about leaving, you want to do ahead of time. And that is get all your extra vehicle keys and things like that. So we knew the night before that things were going to happen. So I made sure, like my vehicle key, I made sure I took the spare key with me. So that way I knew I had both sets. Same thing with me. I took both of my keys. I took everything that I thought I might need for that day of being gone, like my laptop and just some personal things that I knew that I would need. And I didn't want someone to take them if they had enough time to. So I did that as well. By the time we got the call to come home, uh, it was well after 10 o'clock. I don't know what time mm -hmm. it was. By the time got home and kind of settled down after we made sure that the house was locked up tight and all the windows and doors were locked. It was probably a good midnight, one o'clock before we even went to bed because part of that was just that whole adrenaline rush too. But I would say that you also don't go to bed. You stay up because you don't know what's going to happen yet again. And I mean, this was something we were already used to. For me, I was constantly getting woke up in my sleep by him, so it wasn't like I had a normal sleeping schedule for the most part. I slept maybe three to four hours each and every day and still went about life, you know, full-time college student managing businesses. So, like, I was already used to being up, and I still kind of have a similar pattern, I'd say, because of all those years of living that way. You're listening for every sound. Yeah. You're, you're, you're on, on edge. edge. And, you know, you hear one car and you, you look outside to make sure it's not his car. And then you look and you see if there's any unusual activity or if there's any vehicles out in your neighborhood that shouldn't be. So you're really alertive. And, you know, as a person that's grown up always being told to be aware of their surroundings, I would still say that this was part of this case where I was already aware of my surroundings. But it took it to another level because you really did have to pay attention to any thing that really wasn't ordinary and what we didn't know was that night of fear was just the beginning of us living longer in fear yeah we um the next morning i had taken the day off from school and the next morning i had tried to change the ring camera because i knew he could access it on his phone and then he could tell when we were coming and going so I tried everything I could and I couldn't remove him. So I called the ring company and talked to them and they said they never had a situation like this. There was no way that they could do it to block him and I'd have to get a new ring system. So they asked me, 
what type of system I had and I told them you know the doorbell cameras and and the alarms and those type of things and the gentleman I was talking with said well can you give me just a minute I want to talk to my supervisor so he and the supervisor came back on and that morning ring told me that they were going to expedite me a free ring system for everything I was going through free of charge. Well, that, and it was really to replace the one that we had, so he couldn't access what we already had, so we just got a base station, and I reinstalled it and rehooked it up to our Wi-Fi and stuff, but it was, again, a safety measure that we definitely had to take, because once you change out the base station system, you can't access the footage to the doorbell camera, and you also have to get a new doorbell camera, too. Well, in our case, we did. So we had to reinstall a new doorbell as well just to make sure that there was no way he could know who was at home and when we were at home. After that, we're we're having a guest on in a little bit. Threats kept continuing, and we had heard through the grapevine how upset he was. And so we actually added cameras along with our ring system. But the main thing is to make sure before you actually leave or you're going to have a protective order served is that you have everything in place where you have an idea of what you're going to do when you return home for security for your safety because it's it's a lot and the fear is almost crippling at times because you're just always waiting and wondering what's going to happen or if he's going to show up while we knew what we were doing, you we weren't really necessarily sure what he was going to do. We kind of had an inkling of what the possibilities potentially were. <laughs> we knew he wasn't going to respond well to it. Yeah, and we also kind of had an idea. Well, we really didn't know where he was going to stay or who he was going to reach out to, but we kind of had a good guess considering that he was with his friend the day before this all happened. But we need to point out, too, that we had neighbors up the hill or right mm -hmm. next door that were really close to him that we also could see him going and staying there so we really wondered if he was still here in the neighborhood and just the next house up the road i mean in some situations you're not going to be able to figure out or find out where they're staying at that's why it's important to plan ahead yeah make sure you have both sets of vehicle keys so you know they can't use one and and be in your vehicle waiting when you come out just just be I guess the main point is be aware of your surroundings and really kind of watch and know what you're doing don't put yourself in situations that if you have a if you have a certain route that you go every day to switch it up don't make the same don't do anything normal that you would you're going to want to get out of that habit you're going to want to create a whole new routine go take different routes to work you know use different doors you're gonna want to have a strategy you're not going to want to make it easy and it's almost to be like found or accessible and it's almost like you feel like you're paranoid but at the same time you know what could happen mm -hmm. so you have to be it's that fine line between fear and being smart and sounding crazy so in a nutshell that was our monday night and kind of what we went through and now we're going to get a different perspective from somebody else who was also kind of involved in our situation when it comes to that evening and supporting us and being there kind of for both my mom and my dad 
so here is Chris is going to kind of give you guys an insight of to a unique I would say spot that he's in because not only is he really close to my mom he's also really close to my dad so he was kind of caught in the middle and you will hear more about that thanks for having me here guys it's a little unique for me to be in this kind of position but you know it's uh i'm here to help and support any way i can krista and i are actually related i don't know fourth fifth cousins we grew up in the same neighborhood and maybe even a half a block away grew up going to the same school used to hitch a ride with her and, and Roger when, when I was a kid. So I've known her for, for a very long time in regards to her strange husband. I've known him since I was probably around 10 years old and he was a little bit younger. We played on the same Little League baseball team. His nephew was my best friend and also lived in the neighborhood um, just a couple doors down from Krista. So that's kind of how I know the two in the, in the short of things. I mean the relationship with him really took place with his his nephew. His nephew is actually older and like I said, one of my uh, oldest and best friends. I couldn't stand him. He was just a mouthy, mouthy kid, and <laughs> but entertaining. He was one of them kind of guys that just kind of, kind of grew on. Real good friend. We ended up working at the grocery store together, rode motorcycles together, became very close friends. And I think I want to point out too that over the years, when we actually all grew up and moved out of our houses and stuff that we actually lived about a block over from each other because when you were married at the time and we were married we'd still see each other and it reignited your friendship or you guys became closer again and started riding motorcycles and hanging out a little bit. It was kind of interesting that we lived so close. Rode motorcycles together. In fact, we both had the same identical motorcycles. Mine was blue, his was red. Yeah, we'd get together and we'd ride. We, we had, a, had a lot of fun. There'd be some pranksters from time to time. And So that brings us kind of to present day because you've been around probably more, you know, since we did move out from home and grew up because you two had a relationship and, you know, you came out to see Bria when she was born at the hospital and we've just always kind of stayed in touch unless maybe you two were on the outs because that would happen sometime. It was a true friendship, I would say. Wouldn't you agree to that, Chris? Yeah, I think there was always some, some conditional things there. I used to think that be someone that would... Um, be there for you whenever you needed to, but it always seemed like also was, there were conditions associated with it. I was always glad that you were there for him as a friend because I thought you were kind of a sound, just a sound decision maker when it came to talking things through with them. Part of the reason we brought you on, Chris, was because you were there when everything exploded and went down. The Sunday before served the protective order on Monday, you guys had went for a motorcycle ride. I had just bought a new new motorcycle, and and like I said, that was a, a big connection between he and I. Is that we always had that connection with motorcycles, things like that, and and uh, had shared a picture. And he says, "Hey, let's let's go for a ride." This was November, and it was a pretty nice day. We had a, a nice ride and uh, had some lunch, and uh, that's when he kind of told me that things maybe were not going the best between you and that you know he was maybe going down that path to a divorce and of course my initial response was shock because I was shocked I really didn't I mean you know I, I, I knew how he could be and very very outspoken and, and opinionated and, and, and such but at the same time I really thought you guys were pretty close and 
seemed pretty close to the girls and uh, so I, I was surprised but also supportive uh, at the same time and never said anything bad I would never say anything bad about you because you know I, I am close to you as well and yeah I get a phone call and we're just chatting on the phone he said that you weren't here you and the girls were maybe gone and we were just chatting just heard a car door and he thought that it was you coming home and he says I'll call you back they're home uh, okay no problem and then he called me back and he said uh, it wasn't you but it was the sheriff's department and that he's gonna have to leave the house that you had filed a restraining order against him wanted to know if um, he could stay with me because I did tell him prior to that the day before <laughs> to because my own experiences that uh, just keep your cool don't do anything if you get in a position where things get rough you can just come and stay with me that was the case I did come out here supported him helped him load up his stuff chatted with the sheriff and the deputies here a little bit and yeah there was a little extra stuff going on there that I was unaware of at the time that ended up causing some more problems over the next few days you know in his mind I don't think he thought that it it should have happened or I was faulty because I filed the protective order so how did he play that off to you like why did you ask him like why would she have a protective order on you or what was his response to that well he started off I mean things didn't really seem to bother him too much I think he was and I understand cause like I said I've you know kind of been in that situation myself maybe a little disbelief you know and bitter you know how could that happen you know this is you know BS and and it's it's not fair and and at that point I'm thinking well you know what I, I, I get it sometimes it ain't fair I didn't know uh, the whole uh, story his emotions were up and down which I also I understand I, I totally get that but quickly I mean things were starting to concern me a little bit about things he would say and I'm going to stop you right there, Chris, because I want people, I think it's important to know that you were a neutral party in this, especially at the beginning, because you actually text me several times back and forth. We text about animals because, you know, we had four dogs at the time we and what was going to happen with the dogs and is there any way that we could work it out? I think you maybe suggested counseling. I did. But I always felt like you had the best intentions. And I was cautious what I texted back because I knew you were telling him everything. So at the same time, I tried to just say, okay, or thanks, or, you know, I tried to keep it very nonchalant. But then finally, you sent a long text about how you hated to see us throw everything away and our girls and stuff. And at that point... Yeah, I had had talked to him and I knew that he, he was kind of maybe regretting the path that had been taken and maybe that he, and this is my opinion, that maybe he didn't really think that this was gonna happen. I mean, I think it was maybe, once again, my opinion, that maybe it was more of a, a game and that he really right. didn't think that this was going to take place. And then when the eviction or restraining order came about, I think it maybe became a little bit more real even then, you know, that you guys had sat down and, hey, this is what we we'll put on paper, you know, you can have this, you can have that. And I'm like, you know what, that sounds great. If that's ultimately what comes, I give him some of my, my personal experiences, what you could and couldn't do maybe. But, 
at that point, it seemed like he was resigned to, okay, if that's the way it is, then we, we, we had already drawn this up and, and maybe it would be okay. That particular evening, um, he had went to Walmart to get some things and, and you and I talked on the phone and that's when you kind of told me a few things that I was not privy to initially. For obvious reasons, I wasn't uh, let in on that stuff. But yeah, I got the papers that you and the girls had written about some of the abuse that had taken place. Although I had seen some things when he was younger about how he treated his mother. I mean, I mean, it was, even as a kid, it was appalling, some of the language he would use and words that he would call his mother. I never really knew that he would be physically abusive. It, it really kind of shocked me a little bit. At the same time, there was no doubt in my mind that it was true and what had taken place did take place. And at that point, it was kind of a game changer for me. Um, I don't don't condone that. I don't like that. I don't um, want to see anybody treated that way. It was something simple. You you had asked me, and and because my my support had rapidly changed, there were things that going on in, in my own house that was it's like you know this is my home and you know I live by myself and I live in a quiet neighborhood and I was help out if that was the case knew from his situation that he had an apartment that he could stay at but it was not going to be available until maybe the first of the year and that was okay I was willing to do that but <laughs> Simple things like, you know, not cleaning up after yourself. It's just a respect thing. I had to kind of tell him, you know, hey, you know, just be courteous and clean up after yourself. Once again, it's about respect. It's stuff that I wouldn't do if I was a guest in somebody else's house. Like, trim your beard, you know, pick up your trimmings, you know, and I can appreciate somebody maybe having to use some powder on their self, but... You know, when it's all over my carpet in my bathroom, and I had to had to reach out and tell him, you know, but I, I, I if you're going to use your powder, that's great. Just vacuum it up when you're done, okay? And you know, the fact that we're friends, and we've been friends for a long time, and carry on a conversation, and he's standing in front of me wearing a pair of bikini underwear. It's like we're friends, but <laughs> we're not that close. <laughs> giving me strict instructions myself, you know, if he puts stuff in the laundry, make sure I don't put his shirt or certain shirts in the in the dryer, hang them up. And so it was little things like that. It was kind of setting me off a little bit, but I'm thinking, well, okay. You came out and we started talking and my mom was here. Yeah. So you started talking to Bonnie. And so yeah, I think this is, is, is worthy of no, noting. You did reach out and you did say, hey, if you want to come out and get some of his stuff, and his computers, I think even you were going to give them. Um, and the only thing you were asking for, you said you had a little basket, which I'm looking at right here. You said I, he took a little little basket, goes to a, a set. Uh, if you could bring that back to me, that would that would appreciate that. And I said I, I will do that. And I said I think he will be. I think it's great for you to do that. I think it'll show a good faith effort and maybe calm him down a little bit um, if you were to give him some of his stuff. And you were agreeing to do that. It turned out that, you know, by advice of your attorney, not to do that. But I still came out anyway and brought your basket, and and we chatted a little bit. And 
and it was just random. And for what you had already told me about the abuse and what I had read from the girls' letters and sitting here where we are right now looking out at the pool, it just struck me. And I said, here's something I have to tell you and you. And, and you're like, what's that? And I said, that pool's been damaged. And you're like, what? And I said, it, it totally, uh, I forgot all about it. That night that he was kicked out, he told me that when we got back to my house, I'm like, oh, I mean, you know, initial, I'm like, <laughs> you know, but uh, at the same time, I think, okay, I understand being a little bitter, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that's his stuff too, you know? It's like, it's not only a direct jab at you, but it's his own stuff, and it was really kind of odd, but. Once again, I never really said anything about it, but after that, of course, you contacted uh, the sheriff's department, did the report, and and they came and interviewed me and wanted the information about it. And uh, one thing missing here, in between there, is is the the threats, and that was something that I was trying to get to earlier. Is that started really pretty early on, where he would make threats, and I, I at first okay. the first one was kind of okay, and the threats were literally. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her and then kill myself if I have to. You know, I'm just, and I, and I the first one I was like, okay, I, I get that because I know he's frustrated. I know he's hurt. And, and I, I get that initial feeling. But when that takes place a second time and a third time and maybe even a fourth time, you know, it's like, enough's enough. I was getting a little scared about that and uh, uneasy about that and that's when it started coming around where I did record him saying that because and I would tell him you cannot say that you do not want to do that why would you do that to your children you know that is your children's mother and you know why would they not you know they don't want to lose either their parents I mean and the fact is those things happen you can't just take that lightly it wasn't did he have a response when you asked him that kind of thing? Uh, it was just like, I don't care. I don't care. When I said that, it's like, I don't care. But at the same time, I did care enough about him that I did not want anything to happen to him either. You know, I don't want him to, to be dead. I don't want him to go to jail for the rest of his life. He would never see that. I mean, I know he sees it as a as a complete uh, betrayal of a, of a friend. I love the guy. I mean, I did. I mean, I would. There was probably nothing I wouldn't have done for him, you know. But at the same time, there's got to be a line drawn about what you can and cannot accept. And at that point, it was something I knew that I could not accept, and I wasn't going to accept. Well, and I think we need to preface too, Chris, that part of the reason that we're doing this isn't to bash him, not at but all. it's kind of to show what kind of a mental state he was in and how anger, mental illness, all of these things come into play when you're dealing with someone, whether it be in a divorce or you're leaving them or, you know, sometimes just family members. It really is something that people don't talk about. It's true. And and I think we need to talk about it because I think other people have reached out. And if we can help people, that's what I want to do is bring light to it. One of the things that I'm going to ask you, because I know you talked to me about, well, maybe you guys could go to counseling, that kind of stuff. Did you ever try to give him any advice or any ways that I he did. could help himself? Oh, I, same advice I gave you, I gave him, is like, 
could you do counseling? I, I mean, I said, even if you go with the girls, you know, you, you alone, go with the girls, go as, a, go as a family, go with you and Krista alone. And that's when he had made the comment that, you know, and that's when I knew that he had maybe, that's not what he really wanted because he did indicate that, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we could work things out. One time that he, he did indicate that, you know, I mean, I think he was defeated and I think he knew that it was not, not what he wanted at that time. Uh, I think he knew it had gone too far and maybe to the point of no return, but at the same point I knew he was, give it a try. I mean, go, go, go to church. Come, come with me, come, come to church. We'll, we'll, maybe it'll be a change for you. And you know, it was maybe not the right time, but um, I'd mentioned that a couple times, even, even uh, when he had got released from jail after being arrested uh, for the pool liner incident. You know, of course, things had changed by then already, and uh, I knew things were going to come to light that he knew that I probably betrayed him and all that stuff, but and it really wasn't a matter of betrayal. It was really trying to do what was best for him um, all, and for myself and for you. I certainly didn't want that to continue to be uh, in, in my house, in my home, and I didn't want to continue to listen. I did try to offer my advice and my support, and uh, if he wanted to take it, great. If not, there's nothing, nothing more I could do about it. One of the things I want to point out is his mental state, though, because I filed a protective order, and so he was mad because he wasn't controlling the situation. So he retaliated and slashed the pool liner. Mm -hmm. You, he was making threats about killing me, and you told me about the pool liner. You told me about that. You tape recorded him. He found out, and he felt betrayed by you. But nowhere in this scenario is he like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Or his actions have caused other things to happen because he is so in the mental state of retaliation and vindictiveness and, vindictiveness and how it's, everything's everybody's fault but his. He's not in a place to accept help because he can't see anything that he's done. The My cheese has slid off my cracker, you know, even from him. That's That was his, his, his saying. And if people can't figure that out, it is, uh, an indication that he's losing these marbles, you know, my cheese has slid off my cracker. I think my cheese is sliding off my cracker and, you know, we can laugh about it, but the fact is, he, if he's saying that himself, he knows that something is not quite right with himself because he knows he's not feeling right. I mean, even to the extent he told me himself that he thought you were trying to kill him because you kept buying candy. M&M's maybe or something. Reese's peanut butter Reese's cups. peanut butter cups. For the girls. Right. Yeah. And, you we know, have two you, teenagers at home. You have but, candy and chocolate. You know, uh, diabetic. And, you know, he, he was pretty, pretty well convinced that you were seriously trying to cause him ill will because you kept supplying candy to, to the house. You know, you're diabetic and you can't eat candy. Whether it's there or not, you probably just shouldn't eat the candy. It's called control. But... Uh, I was really shocked about some of the, the things that he was incapable of. I mean, as you guys know, some of the control and it was all about, you know, watching cameras and, and stuff like that. I mean, I had, I mean, it wasn't even my camera system that he was looking at, but I had to show him how he could go back and review and look at some of, some of the feeds on the cameras from the store. And 
I had put together a spreadsheet, you know, because I've been through this before. You know, when you start looking at if he's going to get divorced, okay, this is what you do. List of your assets. This is what you owe, and this is what your debt is, and you know, this is your balance. And then at the end of the day, if that's the way you go, you're going to, if you can't agree, you're going to split 50 50. And I'd drawn that all up for him and stuff, and he, he, he didn't know how to, to view it. Um, certain things, when he, he called me and asked me how to how to print something, and I trying to text it, you know, there should be a little printer icon up in the corner. Uh, just click on that, and, and, and uh, you should be able to, to print a document. But um, goes back to this, the, the things that I, somebody that, seems to have such a grasp on everything you know um, really doesn't have the basic skills that I think that most people especially that runs a business should have um, once again that's not a not a, a jab or anything like that it was just an observation that it kind of shocked me it, it, the simplest things that being a parent that is involved in a a wife that is a school teacher that would have some some knowledge of of those kind of things um, once again just kind of was bizarre to me I think it goes back to show though like at the store Bria was managing it and so she was doing all that for him and I think at home like if he needed a certain pair of clothes cleaned or couldn't find his phone or whatever that was our job so I think honestly Chris that if anything we enabled him but we had to. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have a choice, but he used us to get all of this stuff done. Mm -hmm. And so him having to reach out and ask you, you were probably the closest thing to us and somebody that tell him or help him do it and, and not I was, think I was anything happy to again. Do it. I, I yeah, was. I was but, happy to do it. I mean, you know, um, I, want, I, want, I did want to help. And, and But I honestly think he really does, didn't know how to do that. And, oh, and like didn't. you said, for somebody running a business, that's a little scary. And, and it's still scary to me because he's still running that business. And Well, just, just that, you know, um, once again, I, I can't stress that I, I really don't want to judge. And it may seem like, like I am and it may, people may think, boy, what a horrible, horrible friend am I to be here doing this um, but it isn't against him it is uh, not uh, probing you it is to educate people um, none of us are perfect we all have our own stories some good some bad at the end of the day it, it, this is about just educating people and once again you and you none of us are are, are professionals at, at diagnosing somebody that might have some we can all form own opinions about somebody, and there are two sides to every story. We know he has a story. That story may be uh, interesting for some people to hear. At the end of the day, uh, I feel pretty comfortable where my support is. I guess if he reached out to me today, um, which would be a, a miracle, um, I would I would answer his call. I would talk to him. I would uh, start back where I left off, and that's like. Let me help you. You get to go to church. You can go to church with me. I, I think I'd probably allow that, but I'm a much wiser person today than I was a year ago. I would say, too, I think this is a good note to end on because I think, again, I'm going to bring up the whole mental health thing because there's certain things that you've talked about and that we've talked about that play into that, whether you want to call it mental health or whether you want to call it 
um, unstable characteristics of a person or whatnot. But there were certain red flags that that once you were close to him, lived with him, you could see. And I think the main thing I want listeners to know is that no matter who tries to help that person, they have to want the help and choose to move forward and take that step because no matter what you do, what you say, how many times you beg, you can't do it for them. It's a fact. So we want to thank you for being here today. Thanks. And uh, thank you for all your support in all of this. And I think you touched upon a different side that will hopefully give listeners a different perspective. And one more thing I'd like to say, too, that if you have any additional questions that you want to ask Chris or you have for us, you can email us at cheeseandcrackersus at gmail.com. And we will post every Monday at 5 a.m. Central Time. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many more. Thanks for listening.